we are finishing up our series in this. There's one more message after this, so I think we've been about a year in this book as we go through the different books of the Bible. We finally got to Revelation, uh, and we're at the end of the story, though as C.S. Lewis talks about in his version of this, it's just the beginning of another story that goes on forever. So we're going to be looking at this section of Revelation. Uh, guys, have you ever, I imagine you have, had the privilege of staying at a home or a hotel with a really nice view? Have you had a chance to stay at a place with a really nice view? Um, one of the views that Peggy and I always enjoy are views of the ocean. Um, and any opportunity we have to stay near the ocean, to have a view of the ocean, uh, we take and we enjoy. And uh, this past week I was thinking about this theme and looking online and found some really amazing homes with amazing views of the ocean uh, and water. Um, there's one home here, you guys stay on that one actually, that is up on a pole, a post. It's like an octagonal home overlooking the ocean and it's almost glass all around has views of the ocean all around it. It's a gorgeous house. I think it's in California somewhere. Um, and just really beautiful. I would love to stay there. I don't know if I'll ever get to stay there with Peg, but, um, but all those homes are, are beautiful homes, right? They're all beautiful homes because of not the home, but the view. The view from the homes is of the ocean and, and the beach. And what makes them beautiful homes and glorious is really that they, they have lots of windows so you can see the glorious ocean. And the view. And today I want to tell you about uh, a future home for you that is way more glorious than anything you see up there or, or anywhere else because it has an unhindered view of the most glorious landscape there is, the most glorious being there is. It's the future home, the new Jerusalem, the city of God. And it is a beautiful place. It's a glorious place because the glory of God shines in it and through it uh, in a way that you can't even imagine. For the believer in Jesus, the Bible makes very clear this is your future home. And the truth of this future home, the reality of it, the reality that we're going to look at, look at in Scripture is meant to impact us in such a way that just as if you are a week away from your vacation longing to stay at that octagonal house. We should be living our life now longing to live in this glorious eternal home. And really everything we do in, in our lives now should be part of our response to that eager anticipation of this future home. How we live now impacts that. That's the message of Revelation. That's the message of this passage. So let's pray and we'll look at God's word and I trust he will Change us and teach us uh, from this section of Scripture. Lord, thank you for our future home and all that it is. And Lord, I feel completely inadequate to explain this future home. And words themselves are not adequate enough because the glory of what you have for us is so spectacular. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to teach and explain this and I pray you'd help everyone here to understand. And I pray you would speak to us through your word, that we would understand what we have, what we have coming in Jesus, and what that means, and it would change how we feel and think and live now. We pray, Lord God, you'd transform us by your word. We thank you, God, that you don't leave us alone, but you help us. 
and you hear our prayers. So we ask these things to trust you in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be reading from chapter 21, verse 9, through chapter 22, verse 5. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb to the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God's word from Revelation on this final city, our new home. I want to dig into this section of scripture and I want to talk about three aspects of this future home, this future city of God. First, that this is the city of God's glory, and then this this is the city of God's people, and then this is the city of God's life and healing. And we'll see from the passage how it is all 
of these three things. So first, this is the city of God's glory. It starts out with a specific angel uh, who escorts John to the city. And if you notice that that angel is described um, as an angel that showed up previously. In chapter 17, actually, John is escorted to see another city of sorts. And it's almost the exact uh, sort of phrasing that goes on in chapter 17. But in that case, it's the city of Babylon. It's really the city of man, the city of man and, and his fallenness and worldliness and evil and rebellion against God. And so he brings him in chapter 17 to show him that city, which is full of the shame of evil. And now in chapter 21 and 22, he shows him this city which is full of the glory of God. It's a contrast, uh, intentional here in Scripture. And again, we've seen this again and again in Revelation, this contrast between uh, choosing the ways of the world, the ways of rebellion against God, uh, defining our lives on our own in rebellion against Him, versus choosing Him and choosing Jesus and His grace and His ways and, and staying close to Jesus and, and experiencing real reward and real satisfaction, ultimately. This is a contrast we see throughout the book, and so here it is right in the beginning as well, but now it's the good news, it's this incredible city. And, and I hope you got, as I read through that, um, that there's a specific design in this city. Um, there's a number of aspects we'll go, we'll go into, but one of the specific designs in this city is the fact that it's either translucent or transparent, basically, in all its building materials. So did you see that, where things are, it says it's gold, uh, clear as crystal, that means it's like transparent gold. Uh, it, it talks about it being, the whole city being like crystal clear jasper. Jasper is a, a, a rose-colored gem, but here it's not just the normal jasper, it's jasper that is crystal clear. So imagine the whole city kind of shining as like a rose-colored diamond. It's, it's translucent, it's transparent. The whole city is. The walls are made of jasper. The gates are of a single pearl. The, the streets are made of some sort of transparent gold. It's like gold, but it's transparent. It lets light through. The foundations of the vast wall are each decorated with precious shining gems. And they all have one design in common. They transmit and reflect light. So hear that in the city as it's described. It's, it's a city that transmits and reflects light. It's meant to, to be like a diamond shining light. Then what is the source of the light in the city? Is it the sun or the moon? It certainly would be a glorious uh, city like this in the sunshine or in even moonlight. But that, those aren't the sources of light. There's something brighter and more glorious than the sun or the moon. The, the one who actually made the sun and the moon, the God himself who, who made the whole universe with all its stars and is, is an eternal, infinite, glorious light source himself. He dwells in inapproachable light. And in this city, the light is from God himself, a greater, more glorious light than any created light. And he shines forth from his throne forever in this city. And so the city is lit up by the glory of God. Uh, that's an important thing to get in, in this whole storyline, that it, this city is meant to transmit and reflect and to magnify and shine and sparkle with the glory of God. 
There's no temple building in this version of Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem had a temple building. That was where, uh, where they met with God, where they could encounter God. It's the place where atonement was made for sin, where they, there was worship and enjoyment of God. There was a temple building, but there's no temple in this city, for God Himself dwells in the midst of the city. He Himself is the temple. He Himself is there. The, the whole city actually is, a, is one giant temple. Did you catch its dimensions? Or its shape? It's the same height and width and length. 12,000 stadia, that's about 1,500 miles. That's huge. I'll talk more about that as we go. But it's basically 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles high. Now understand uh, that Revelation uh, is full of symbols and it represents things. And sometimes it's hard to know, is this fully actual or is this meant to express something? And I don't know for sure, but I certainly know it's meant to express a truth. And if God wants to build a city that's 1,500 miles high, that's way up into outer space, outer space starts about 60 miles up, all right? So this is like way up. If he wants to build a city like that, he certainly can. It's not beyond him in any way. But the point is, though, that this city is, has a certain shape. It's a cube. Where else in Scripture do we see a perfect cube? The Holy of Holies. The very inner part of the temple. It was a perfect cube. It was 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. We don't use cubits. It's about uh, half a yard of a cubit. So it's about 30 feet cube. That was the inner inner part of the temple. And that was the part where, where God himself dwelt and made his presence known. And it was behind a curtain. You couldn't go in there except for once a year. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place where atonement for sin was made before God. That was the place where the incense wafted into, that's representing the prayers of the saints. It was the, the place of God's holy presence. The Holy of Holies. God in his glory and his holiness dwelt there and manifested his presence there. Well, this whole city is a Holy of Holies. This whole city is a giant cube. It's a place where God has made himself known where he has made himself known in all his glory. And, and it's not a place where, where you can only go in once a year. The high priest can only go in. It's a place we're going to see later full of God's people. It's, this is the city of God's people. So we get to be in the presence of God in all of his glory in this city. We, we encounter him in this city, in his presence. This is a city of God's glory of his presence, and it's a glory beyond anything you could imagine. I, I hope I'm helping somehow for you to wrap your mind around this, and, and I, I pray that it's more than just kind of an idea for you, that it's something that sticks and holds on and gets in deeper and deeper, and, and, you, and you begin, we all begin to, to grasp what this is saying and what it means. This is the city of God's glory. He shines in his glory. And it's, it's pictured in these different terms to help us understand what's going on. This is God making his glory known in its fullness and enjoyed and reflected and magnified. And it goes on and on forever and ever. And that's our home. So let's just do a little exercise and think about what glory is because it's using light as a symbol of glory. And light is part of God's glory. But there's a lot of different aspects to glory. Glory is weightiness, it's significance, it's, it's something that is 
substantial and meaningful and noble. Something that you would desire. That's what glory is. And there's all sorts of glory. There's the glory of the, of the physical world. God created the world to show his glory. And there's all sorts of ways in the world we see and encounter his glory. Light is glory. A sunny day, the sun shines, stars, the moon, these are, these are things that are glorious. They show things that are beautiful and weighty and significant and meaningful. And there's something fundamental in our humanity that we just get that. I've not seen my dog kind of watching sunsets lately. My dog's a little different. I love my dog. But, but we as humans are made in God's image to, to behold and long for and encounter glory in things like sunsets and stars at night, in art and, and the animal kingdom and plants and flowers. There's just so many things. And, and we can spend a lifetime contemplating just one narrow aspect of God's glory in these things. That's really what, our, what work is, really. We are... We are encountering and using God's glory and participating in Him, with Him, and things, good things that He's doing in His glory. And so we manage things and we recreate and, and we create order. That's part of what we're called to is live in this place of creation of His glory and, and work with it. And so this won't stop, actually. Um, gardening, I don't think, will stop in the new creation. Working with His glory through plants and flowers and beauty. Humans themselves both spirit and body, are in their original form glorious. And in, even in a fallen state, still glorious in many ways. There's a glory in, in just the physics. On, um, things like heat and force and things like lightning. They're glorious. I think even when I go to the amusement park, um, it's partly seeking glory to experience it. And one of the things I, I like to do, I don't like roller coasters as much anymore. But I still like uh, the Star Blaster sort of thing. You guys know what those are? The big towers you get, you strap in, and they take you up like 300 feet. There's one at Canopy Lake Park. I think it's about 100 feet. But there's one at Six Flags that's like like 5,000 feet up in the air. No, it's not that high. <laughs> but it's, but it, it's it's like 300 feet, and they kind of crank you up. Um, you know, they take you up, and and it's <laughs> um, they strap you in. You can't get out once it starts. And and uh, and and you go up to the top, and I. And I had the feeling when I'm at the last time I was at the top, I was like, why did I do this? And, uh, and they just take you up 300 feet, and then they just drop you into free fall. And you go free fall, so there's you know, zero Gs, you're just flying. And then all of a sudden, uh, they stop, and then it's like whatever Gs when you stop, and then they go, boom, and they blast you back up again. And you don't go straight to the top the next time, but then you do free fall again. And they, it goes like five cycles, and, and like halfway through it, I'm like, oh, please, I just want to go home. And then at the end, like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> so what's going on with that? I'm experiencing gravity. That's it. God made gravity. I'm experiencing gravity. And it's glorious. It's cool. And, and that's, that's what we're made for. We're made to enjoy God's glory, experience it, and, and, and glorify him. And so there's glory of gravity. There's, there's glory in the physical creation. But there's also a whole other set of glory. That has to do with character and deeds. So there's the glory of heroism. We love to hear the stories of heroism. We love to hear stories that display qualities like love and valor and faith, stories of patience and endurance. 
self-sacrifice, stories of redemption, stories of kindness, all these sorts of stories, they, they touch us, right? Because there's a glory in them. We honor the, the firefighters who rushed into the World Trade Towers when everyone else was rushing out. The glory of their noble sacrifice to save others. Just rereading the story of, of Desmond Doss. I don't know if you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, but he's a, a Medal of Honor winner from World War II and uh, fought at Okinawa. And there was a, uh, a battle at this ridge. It was actually a cliff up on top of the cliff, and, and the Americans were overrun. Desmond was a pacifist. Um, he, he joined the army, but he refused to bear arms, and he was subjected to ridicule for it, but he stayed consistent, and he served as a medic. And at the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge, when they were overrun, he didn't retreat. He went and he ministered to the wounds of his comrades, and, and there, were, there were Japanese everywhere. He got as close to like within 10 feet of, of the enemy. He was under fire. He rescued 75 wounded men, and he, he rescued them, brought them back to the edge of the cliff, and lowered them down to, to, the, uh, to safety. And he, in the process, he was wounded, received um, 15 shrapnel wounds, a broken arm from a sniper's bullet, and just kept on rescuing others. It's a fantastic story. It's a story of nobility and sacrifice. It's a story of glory. That's what glory is. So in Revelation, when you, when you read about God's glory shining as light, it's, it's not just light. It is that. But it's all of his character. It's all of his goodness. It's all of, all of these things because all these things, every good gift, every truly good and glorious things, thing comes from him. He's the God of glory. And we know that, that his rescue story is far better than any other rescue story, as good as they might be. The fact that he, in his great love for us, be, became man, took on flesh, lowered himself, coming from the infinite glorious God he is, humbling himself, becoming a man, being born as a baby in a manger in poverty lowered himself that low, and then lived a life of service and love for others. And then ultimately sacrificed himself and his goodness and righteousness on the cross in our stead to pay for our sins. Should we trust in him, we would receive forgiveness and new life in Christ. He gave himself to purchase his people, to rescue us from sin and death, and to, that we can live with God as our father and friend, forgiven, and enjoy this glorious home forever. And in this life, enjoy his power and presence that we might love him and love others. The glory of this rescue, the glory of all his deeds, the glory of his character, his power, his might, his genius, his creation, all these things are part of the story here, him shining this glory. And so it's a picture of this glory shining without filter, without limit in and through his people in this glorious city. And there's a call in this implicitly saying, guys, don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for the passing glories of this world. Don't settle for the perverted glories of the city of man. But long for this pure and infinite glory that you will experience in him. And live for it. Everything we do now in his name will be part of that experience. And hanging on to him, we ensure that we indeed are called by him from eternity. 
and are headed for this glorious home, it will all be worth it when we're there on that day in that place. This is the city of God's glory. This is the city of God's people as well. We see that throughout the the section. First off, it's called New Jerusalem, and, and Jerusalem was the capital of the Old Testament people of God. And so it's implicit there, of course, that this is the capital of God's people. This is the center of God's people. This isn't an empty city, as glorious as that would be. This is a city that's full of people. In verse 12, we see that there are 12 gates, and each one has a name of one of the tribes of Israel. And then there, in verse 14, there are 12 foundations, and each one has a name of one of the 12 apostles. So this is Old Testament people of God and New Testament people of God. This, this city represents the sum of all of God's people. We learned earlier that it's a vast, countless number. Probably billions and billions. In this place, in this city. And these 12 foundations have 12 different precious gems on them. I mean, we don't know whether they're decorated or they're one big gem or whatever they are. They're glorious. They're places to reflect and transmit God's glory. And there are 12 different ones, and these 12 gems are the gems that were worn on the breastplate of the high priest. There were 12 gems that he wore, and each gem represented one of the tribes of Israel. And so that's blended in with the 12 apostles. And so the message is that that this is the full people of God. All the people throughout history who have trusted in God, put their faith in God, who belong to Him. The city also is 1,500 miles cubed. 1,500 miles is, is, was the understood dimensions roughly of the Roman Empire. And so the, the thought is that this is the ultimate all-encompassing empire as one glorious city here in this place. And so it's, it's all the people, and it's people from every different tribe. So we've already seen that, haven't we, in, in chapter 5. I have that verse to put up, Revelation 5. We've already seen that this picture looking forward to the end time in the very beginning of Revelation where there's worship going on. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. So speaking of Jesus. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. And so chapter 21 and 22 is a picture of this. Every nation, every tribe, a massive amount of people, a massive amount of diverse people, all unified through Christ, his death and resurrection, there in this city, inhabiting this city. The city represents the, the actual people of God, enjoying and magnifying God's glory. And they are set apart. Even the measuring of the city is, is we I saw earlier in Revelation 11, is a picture of, of setting apart. So there's a, this idea that the city gets measured. It's basically saying, these are my people. It's a setting apart of, of God's people. And in verse 27, it, it makes it clear it, it, in, in the negative and in the positive. It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So it's only those who have turned from self-reliance, sin, turned, recognizing they don't want that, they need help, running to Jesus for grace and mercy. Um, so important for me to make it clear, guys, you don't get to Jesus by changing your life. You, you don't, your repentance is not, you totally change, it's a change of heart. 
the change of mind where you say, you know what, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be a slave to sin and evil anymore. I want freedom from this. And there's freedom only found in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to free you from your sins so you could be forgiven and empowered. And live in forgiveness knowing you're fully forgiven. And then receive power to overcome those sins step by step. Knowing that it's through Christ alone. And then one day you will be fully free in this new place. So that's what it's talking about. There's, there's none who are unclean here. There are all who have turned from those things to Jesus. And it says in verse 27, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We've seen this, right, throughout Revelation, this idea of the Lamb's book of life, being written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. And, and we've learned earlier that uh, those who are written in the book are written in that book before time began. And then Revelation also is telling us again and again, endure, be faithful, don't give up. And we've learned that, that really it presents both sides of the reality of God's people. There's a heavenly perspective and divine sovereignty, and there's a human side. The heavenly perspective is that behind it all, God has looked at us and, and, and sovereignly determined that he would rescue us before time began. He wrote your name before time began. That's the ultimate reality. And as a believer, that's what we rest in. We rest in that. We know that we cannot endure if he has not already called us and chosen us. But that doesn't neglect the reality on the human side. So there's a choosing of God. God chooses us, but we must choose God. There's a human side. We must say, I don't want that. I want you. And so Revelation is full of, of exhortations to do just that. And they go together. We can never separate divine sovereignty and human responsibility. They go together in the Lord's plan. Now, we don't understand how they go together. It can be confusing, but the fact is they're there. And so we must choose him as well. We must choose to say, I want this. That's part of what's going on here in chapter 21 and 22. It's presenting this picture of your, your eternal home so that you would say, I want that, not the old ways. I want that, and I'm willing to put up with, with ridicule and rejection and hardship even that, that comes from turning away from the old ways because this is so worth it. So it's a call to choose again and again. These things go together. And so the ones in this city are those who are both chosen by God from eternity, but also ones who have chosen to endure, to hang on to Jesus as he hangs on to them in his power resting ultimately in the fact that he holds on to us. And the promise is that you will be part of this city. You will be there. You will be part of the city, part of this place of beholding and enjoying God's glory forever and ever. You are precious to God. and He's paid a great price for you to be in that place. And he will delight in you, even as you delight in him forever and ever. That's what he's like. He's a gracious, condescending, kind, caring God. Every little detail of your life, he cares about. And he will be there with you, and you will enjoy him forever. I don't know if you uh, are someone who watches the Oscars. I sometimes will watch some of the Oscars. I don't stay on for late, late night to watch the whole thing. 
But before the Oscars, they have the red carpet event, and I really haven't watched that, but I know it was right before, 90 minutes before, they have the red carpet event, and all kind of the, all the movie stars and, and uh, their, their spouses kind of come in, and they're just dressed to the nines, right? There's these fancy dresses and tuxedos, and, and it's uh, all the press is there taking pictures, and this is, you know, the, this is a, a event of the, the rich and famous that's held every year. And it's, you see it all over media. Well, this glorious city is God's red carpet event where his people are the ones that he glories in. The peop- his people are the ones he delights in. His people are the ones that will shine with his glory, not their own. Daniel and Daniel talks about his people shining like stars forever. For many who, one should lead many to righteousness, shining like stars forever. You will shine like a star. You will shine in glory in the city yourself. You are part of, of that reflection and transmission of the glory of God in the city. And you will enjoy him forever and ever. That truth should shape our lives in so many ways. It, it should motivate us in following after the Lord. And, and there's a lot of ways we could think about how that applies to us, but I just had one thought of application. That truth, that we are part of the city of God, that this is the city of God's people who shine in glory, should adjust our perspective on our brothers and sisters. It should give us a very high regard for our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters are purchased by the very blood of Christ. And they will reign forever and ever in that city. And they will be glorious. Every brother and sister in Christ is a future king or queen. If Queen Elizabeth were here with us, how would you relate to her? There'd be a respect, wouldn't there? It'd be an honor. There'd be a sense of privilege. I'd get to hang out with the queen. Guys, look around you. These are our future kings and queens. Glorious. And you get to relate to them now. That truth from Revelation applied to our lives shapes how we treat each other. And so there's no room in in the kingdom, there's no room in the church for for belittling talk. There's no room for gossip. There's no room even for impatience or frustration with your brother or sister. How many here have been guilty of such things? Guilty? I have. You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Someone was nodding their head. Nope, never done it. But Revelation, I think, transforms our perspective and how we look at one another. And just like you wouldn't talk disrespectful to Queen Elizabeth, let's speak honorably to one another. Let's love one another. Let's have great affection with one another. Let us understand that my brother or sister, however weak and struggling they might be at the time, they are blood-bought future kings and queens. So let's love them and respect them and treat them with honor. That's one way to apply what we're reading among many different ways. Let us be a church full of that. And, and, and you guys do that so well that I just want to exhort you and encourage you all the more. Honor one another highly as God himself will in this future home. Finally, this is the city of God's life and healing. We read in chapter 22, verse 1, that the river of the water of life Brightest crystal flows from the throne of God and the Lamb right down the middle of Main Street of this city. 
So there's a river coming out of the throne, and it's a glorious, shining, crystal clear river, and it's flowing out from the throne, and it flows down Main Street of the city, and there's trees on either side of it. It's the tree of life with uh, 12 types of fruit for the healing of the nations. Uh, we don't have time to do it now, but I encourage you to, to look in Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, it's almost exactly parallel with what we're reading here. And that was Ezekiel's experience of God speaking of the future home, the future city, and I would say also the future temple, this final one that we're, we're looking at, because you'll see parallels as well in many ways. So water flows out from the throne, and this is the water uh, that flows from the throne is the water, river of life, the water of life, right? It's crystal flowing from the throne of God. So it, it brings life. There's life here. And, and then the tree speaks of the original tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And mankind was made to live in a glorious garden, a watered garden as well. Eden, you can look in Genesis as well, very parallel to what we're reading in Revelation. Probably was a mountaintop place where rivers flowed out of it, and there was a tree of life. And Adam and Eve were created and put in that place to fellowship with God and to really expand the, the kingdom of God throughout the earth. But they fell. They fell away from God. They decided to do it on their own rather than trusting God and trusting his word. And they decided to determine themselves what was right and wrong rather than depending on God. And so they ended up disobeying God. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they, were, they, they plunged all of creation into the fall. And so they were denied the tree of life. The tree of life was something to be enjoyed that would give life, God's life. It would cause them to live, truly live, fully live forever. And yet they failed in that. But here we see the garden restored. It's a picture of the Garden of Eden as well, where God's life and healing flow from the throne. And there's, the trees are there and there's healing for the nations. There's renewing, filling life of God. There's no longer anything accursed. There's no sin. There's no sickness. There's no frustrated labor, but wholeness and health and holiness and goodness and glory in this place. And this water represents renewing, filling life of God, the healing of God. It's full of the healing of God, a complete and final and full healing. I can't wait. And as I get older, I'm even more eager. My body's telling me I need this healing. As I get older, there are new pains every year. I don't have the energy I used to have. I have a growing list of different surgeries um, to keep me going. i got an artificial knee. Um, and, and I'm sure we all, at least those over 50, have our stories. Um, and that's a good thing. I mean, I don't want to age in some ways, but you know what? It just makes me all the more eager for this place, the true home, where there's healing. Not only physically is it hard as you get older, but, but it's hard just to deal with the brokenness of the world and sin, my own sin. Why? There's times it's like, why? Why is, it, why is this idol factory in me? I get sick and tired of it. I think a good thought, and then the next moment I'm over here like, how did I get over here? I was here. I was enjoying God, and now I'm over here, and, you know, whatever. I'm idolizing chocolate or something. I just go from, like, chocolate is good to, like, oh, if I just had all the chocolate in the world, I'd be happy. I mean, that's what happens to me all the time. You don't want to enter into my mind. Um, and it's just hard at times. Like, I just want to be done with it. And then, boy, we, we see the headlines. 
see the brokenness of this world. It's just, oh, the sin sticks in it. I mean, there's a lot of good here. The, the fall has not obliterated goodness. But there's a taint of evil and sin throughout the world and certainly in us. Even having been redeemed by Christ, even knowing we're forgiven and that the Spirit of God dwells in us, there's still that the remaining sin and it just isn't right. And so this should encourage us because there will be life and healing. There's a sure promise. No more sin, sickness, no more evil. We, we long for it. And, and actually, um, our economy makes a lot of money off of this longing, doesn't it? Pharmaceutical industry makes, uh, last year had about a $1 trillion in sales. Just selling, selling pills to treat things that are wrong. And I'm not saying it's bad to do that, but but that's how much we need it. And I find myself as I get older taking more vitamins and ibuprofen is my dear friend. Helps me get through the day. Um, I wish they had a pill for the other stuff. I wish I had a pill to, to be an 18-year-old in terms of energy and enthusiasm. You know, that's the other side of it too. It is easy to get just kind of curmudgeonly as you get older. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know why. I just tend to be more cynical. You know, you know, you tend to look at things like, yeah, we'll see if that works. Seen that, you know, we'll see how that goes for that guy. Tried that before. You know, you just, you just kind of tend that way, and, and uh, you can get crusty and hard-hearted and become bitter instead of being young at heart and, and full of gratitude and enthusiasm. That's just part of the experience of this life, and this is a promise for us that there's a river of life and there's healing. Here, there's new life. There's the ability to, to have yourself transformed physically and spiritually. No more cynicism. No more lack of energy. No more knees, broken knees and all these things. I also want you to know that we can experience this in part even now. And that's the story of the New Testament. The band can come up as I close. Um, the story of the New Testament is that this is the fullness of it that's coming, and we should long and live for that. But there's an already, even though there's a not yet. Christ has already come, and he's poured out his spirit. John chapter 7, Jesus is at this feast, and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given, but because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. That happened 2,000 years ago or so. And so it's a already as well. And so if you feel like I do at times this morning, a little curmudgeonly, a little cynic, uh, cynical, a little discouraged, let us pray for you. Because the Spirit of God is for you now. To sustain you. Now it's not the fullness, you know. He, he does heal. We've seen him heal, but he also allows our bodies to ultimately deteriorate. Uh, we have to shed this body at some point, and he meets us even in our weakness, so that even though we may be tired or worn out physically, we can have a young heart. He wants to meet us that way, and so so don't settle for less. Certainly set your hope on the fullness of that, but don't settle for a curmudgeonly lifestyle now. The Spirit of God would give you strength. So as we conclude, 
I hope you can see with the eye of faith what God has in store for you. A glorious city beyond imagination. A city full of the limitless, overwhelming, indescribable glory of God. Everything you've known is just a taste, just a sampling, just a bit of the fullness of what you're going to receive in eternity. He has a city full of life and healing. They are all yours in Jesus. So now let us live by faith for this eternal reality in all that we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this promise. I pray that you would strengthen your people, strengthen all of us. And Lord, how we need a fresh taste of heaven, how we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and revive us and renew us and refresh us and redirect us. And so, Lord, as we sing now and as we go to celebrate communion, I pray, Lord God, that that you would indeed refresh and renew us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to take...